Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Holy cow. What a night, man. What a night. Welcome into Kansas Talk. It is a Saturday morning. We're ready to kick off another weekend. Ready to start off anyway. Our first episode back in 2023. What's up? Welcome in. Happy Saturday morning to you. Hopefully you had a wonderful holiday. The Christmas, the New Year's. Got a lot of stuff to get to here. Welcome into the program. It is Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to jump on the program, we would love to hear from you. We have a big show lined up for you today to start off a brand new year. And while we talk about a lot of Kansas issues, obviously, a lot of things going on here in the state, our legislative session is officially kicking off next week. We're going to have State Representative Nick Hoheisel coming on the program here at 10 o'clock in hour number two. Also, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, before the transition happens, our final interview with him as Attorney General. We had that last week, and we aired it during our special New Year's weekend. I don't know if anybody uh, was able, got a chance to hear it, as obviously you were celebrating your New Year's celebration. So we're going to air that again today, coming up at the bottom of this hour. We're going to talk a lot of Kansas issues, obviously, but holy cow, man. Can we not talk about the... Speaker of the House vote yesterday. Kevin McCarthy is now officially the Speaker of the House in Washington, D.C. It took the lucky number 15 votes, or 15 rounds of voting, and six still did not support Kevin McCarthy, but he was able to pull it off. But the confrontation, man, the near-physical violence on the House floor last night at near midnight, kind of interesting. I want to get into all that, and you're open to call in here for the first part of the program. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. There's a few things we're going to try and touch on throughout the program today. As now that we're into a new year, what's the legislative session going to look like for the state of Kansas? We have, uh, obviously, a lot of issues that have been uh, talked about really over the last couple months on what's going to be addressed, including the medical marijuana bill in the state of Kansas, the tax receipts in the state of Kansas. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but already in the state, if you try to go and buy your groceries in Kansas is now slightly cheaper-ish. It's about a quarter cheaper for every $10 that you spend. It's something, right? It's a little something. But the tax rate on food in the state has gone down from 6.5% down to 4%, set to go down another 2% next year. And then it'll be completely eliminated the year after. However, they are talking about eliminating it completely. And are we ready for that? Should we be doing that? And why the hell didn't we do that so long ago? I do enjoy how Governor Kelly's trying to take the credit for this one when really Republicans have been proposing this for years now. And finally, finally, she's on board with it. So I applaud her for getting on board a little late to the game, but we appreciate it nonetheless. I know, I know the other side of the aisle is just a little bit slow at times and they have to really process and really think about what they want to do for the people. And they finally come to the right conclusion sometimes on occasion, and it takes a while for them to do so, but they finally get on board with it. And then she tries to take credit for it as well. I know she campaigned for it in the first round of her governor's race back in 2016, and she was able to, obviously, but as soon as she got elected, she was like, ah, we got to let the dust settle from the evil Brownback administration. Ah, we got to do some other things, kind of get the budget back under control here. We don't want to lower sales tax on food, which for you, 
that was impacted during the COVID-19 pandemic might have been good. Might have been beneficial for you for those couple of years, but it wasn't the right time, apparently, so you still had to pay that high sales tax. So will we end the sales tax completely on food? That'll be a conversation. The medical marijuana bill, we have the gambling issue that is seeing some tax revenue come into the state. We have a lot of things to address going into this session of 2023. Then, of course, we have the attorney general's race. That's a Chris Kobach one, and now he is looking at some big projects going on with the Attorney General's office, and we'll talk about some of those again at the bottom of the hour with current Attorney General Derek Schmidt before the transition actually happens. Uh, If you have not seen it, I don't know. This is from CNN, which is hilarious to watch. Again, I want to. We'll talk about mostly state issues here. Obviously, that's what this program is about. But we can't not talk about what happened last night at near midnight. Uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time as they went into the 14th round of voting and Kevin McCarthy lost it by one vote. And you can see on the floor for the first time, Kevin McCarthy got up, went to the back of the chamber and started talking pretty intently with Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert where they got into an argument that led to almost a physical altercation of another congressman that started lunging at Matt Gates and had to be held back. Now, we've been saying through this entire process of the last four days of voting for the Speaker of the House that while this is a good thing, this is healthy for the Republican Party, we need to start shifting things farther to the right. We, I mean, what the, the, the concessions that Kevin McCarthy gave, finally, that the conservatives have been fighting for was desperately needed to change the rules on the floor to where you could actually add amendments to a bill on the floor instead of just leadership saying, here, here it is, voted up or down as is, and no altercation in any way, shape, or form. That needed to change. They do not have that kind of power. They should not have that kind of power. And I'm glad that they actually changed that. That one individual can actually present a bill on the floor to remove the speaker if they don't like what they're doing. He conceded on that one as well. And now we're able to do that. Conservatives starting to take over on the Ways and Means Committee, on the House Rules Committee, on other major committees that will be able to keep really extreme left-wing radical bills below the line. Major changes for Congress that the conservatives were fighting for, Uh, term limits, to at least put a bill on the floor to vote on term limits. Is it going to go anywhere? Probably not, but at least we can put it on the floor, we can debate it, and we can actually vote on term limits the first time I think that it's ever been able to happen. The, the, The fight that they've been fighting for, the agenda, the issues that they've been trying to push for to make Kevin McCarthy a little bit more conservative are desperately needed, and I applaud them for doing that. But we've had one stipulation, don't make it personal. One stipulation, don't make it personal. While the Democrats are just eating away and loving and relishing and the fact that Republicans are torn because we don't know how to lead as soon as we gain the majority in Congress or in Washington, D.C. in general, we don't know how to actually lead and do the stuff we say we're going to do, and they laugh and mock us for that. We say this is a healthy evolution of the party. This is healthy to start steering us towards our values again, and this is desperately needed to fight against the uh, establishment system that is Washington, D.C., desperately needed don't make it personal because republicans have a really hard time not doing that is not making it personal and obviously it turned personal when you see a physical altercation this is just about a minute or so of cnn again why we're airing cnn because cnn loves to relish in this stuff this is what they were doing last night as kevin mccarthy walked up kevin mccarthy walks off the he does not look happy (laughs) Somebody can change. Kevin McCarthy things. walks off the floor. No, he's he's talking. Or he's, I'm sorry, he walks up the floor. Rather. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're Matt talking Gates. about. He needed him to vote. 
yes, not present. He's trying to convince him. He appears to be trying to convince Matt, Matt Gates to vote yes and not present. Or Boebert. Also, right, he, or, if he could get Lauren Boebert to change yep. from present. Or, yes, or convince. We haven't seen him doing this personally on the floor. He's obviously been doing it behind closed doors. But until this moment, we have seen his deputies do this. This is, this is it. I mean, this is do or die for him. So as they're pointing fingers, uh, okay, I'm kind of I should be dial, uh, directing this a little bit uh, with the video. So as they're talking, that Kevin McCarthy's like talking a little bit stern. Uh, Matt Gates is pointing fingers back and forth. It looks kind of a heated conversation. As Kevin McCarthy begins to walk away, then there starts to be some rumbling in the chamber because then someone apparently begins to lunge at Matt Gates and go after him. Some guy in the back who was Literally went out to yell at Gates in a pink tie and another member told him. As they start going after him. Hilarious. Hilarious. Now, I've said for a long time that I think our Congress needs to be almost like what they do in China. And if, you don't, if you've never seen in China or in the U.K., they get pretty heated. They start yelling and screaming and cursing at each other. They start throwing things at each other. And I've said many times before that I think this is vastly needed because we don't want the politicians to be the stiff politician in the suit. We want them to show emotion. We want them to show they actually give a crap about their job. I want to see that. I'll never forget. I saw a video of the Chinese. Uh, now, again, it's a communist country, so how much really can they really make a difference? But there was an altercation a few years ago in the Chinese Congress and there was a uh, there was an all-out brawl. It looked like a WWE match. It was hilarious because one guy had another guy pinned down, was holding a phone, and was hitting him in the head with the phone. Hilarious. Andy, you like violence? No, I like passion. And I want Congress to show passion about that they actually give a crap about what they're fighting for, that they're actually doing something productive, and that they actually have some beef in the game here. Showing some emotion like this, while we don't want to make it personal, I want to see them be emotional about what they truly stand for. I want to make sure that Kevin McCarthy, now that he is Speaker of the House, is going to follow through with what he's conceded on to make sure the conservatives have more power in Congress and that he's actually going to stand firm against Democrat policy. We need to make sure that happens. But now officially, I guess we can be one of the first ones to say on a Saturday morning after a midnight vote that Kevin McCarthy, after 15 uh, excruciatingly painful votes for him, is officially Speaker of the House. 316-728-255, 316-721-TALK. Let's get your thoughts on some of this and a heck of a lot more as we kick off 2023 here on Kansas Talk. First off, welcome. We had a hell of a year with this program last year, and we're going to keep that momentum going this year as we have the big legislative session. We have big elections this year as well and some of the local ones with uh, city councils and the mayor's race and some other stuff that we will be focusing on and relatively soon here on this program. Let's go to the phones. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Happy New Year, Andy. Happy New Year, Mr. Sean. How are you, my friend? All doing great. Uh, just wrapped up production on a new movie that I'm uh, filming, producing. Hey, all right. Yeah, it's called uh, Avatar, The Way of Beer. Avatar, The Way of Beer. Well, that's you know what? I'm sure that uh, <laughs> it'll be a huge success. I'm waiting for it to be a blockbuster hit. Yeah, and you can go see it over at the... Uh, Warm theater, you know, uh, in Old Town, and you can actually have beer while you enjoy the movie. So I love know. it. I love it. There yeah. you go. What do you think? Uh, hey. Now, aren't you happy, Kevin McCarthy, officially Speaker of the House? Well, I'm glad it's over with, man. I'm glad it's over with. And you know, 
maybe they had a bit of a brawl last night, you know, wasn't nothing big, but it's not nothing that ain't never happened before in Congress. Yeah. So it's been a long, long time, but they used to get into some real knockdown drag outs, uh, back in the day. Um, that was way before, uh, our, uh, combined times, but, uh, yeah, well, yeah. it's but it's it's vastly needed. Like I said, it's needed. We need to see the system break up a little bit. And it was a good civics lesson for us to watch this process because, again, since we haven't seen it in so long, it's good to see actual debate, actual compromise, actual working together to find a resolution to come together and move forward. We haven't seen that happen truly in a very long time. Every time it looks like it is, it's really just a show for. Uh, both sides of the aisle to try and get their nice little talking point, get their 20 seconds of fame, and then move on and actually not change anything. So this was good. I think it was productive for the nation. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a whole bunch of them was involved anyway. Just a couple of people, that's one thing. I don't think it sets a good example. But, uh, yeah, we need passion, but it doesn't need to come to physical violence. So maybe a push and a shove is okay, but... Uh, you know, as long as it don't happen very often, because, you know, most people get emotional. So, but, uh, yeah, I, the fight I was telling you about, okay, number one, I think the, <clears throat> what you were talking about, that wasn't in China, dude. That was in, uh, I saw the video myself, too, on the news. It was, uh, I believe it was that was uh, Taiwan, not China. You would never see something like that come out of China, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They don't air their dirty laundry in public like uh, we do, so other countries. But, uh, yeah, we got unfitness business, too, and just not a lot of time. You know, I wanted to talk about the marijuana thing, but uh, well, glad, I, uh, Well, yeah. I tell you what, we have we have State Representative Nick Hoheisel coming on the program in hour number two, and he is the one that really crafted the bill, one of the ones that crafted the bill in the House of Representatives last year. So if you want to talk about marijuana, I, I encourage call back in hour number two while he's here because he's going to talk about the details of the bill they did last year, where they're at in the Senate with it this year, and what could happen this year, and his thoughts on it, because he's uh, he's he's been heavily involved in that issue, so uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Well, let me get off the phone and let somebody else get a chance to call in, and I'll wait till uh, the second hour then. Hey, well, very good. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. Happy New Year, too, and we'll look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in depth coming up in hour number two, because could we see, finally, could we see medical marijuana come through in the legislature this year. Again, I've been saying forever, whether you agree or disagree with it, Republicans need to get on board or at least make some sort of decision. Every other state around us, our neighboring states, have sandwiched us in that issue, and we're going to have to address it one way or another. So however you feel on it, we'd love to get your thoughts as we talk about that in hour number two with State Representative Nicole Heisel, along with other issues as well, obviously. The legislative session in Kansas kicking off next week in just a couple of days as they head up there and start. Dan Hawkins as well, our newly elected Speaker of the House in Kansas. Not as challenging as what we saw in Washington, D.C., but we'll have him on in the next week or two as well to talk about what's going on in Kansas. Got a lot to get to here. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Twenty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program here on Kansas Talk here on Saturday morning. Great to have you for the ride. Good morning to you. Your first weekend in twenty twenty-three. 
How's the first week been? Hard to get back into the groove? I know. Understand. Totally understand the first week at it. It's difficult trying to get back into your groove at work. But, hey, we're here ready to rock and roll and trying to get you pumped up for another weekend. It's going to be a beautiful one, too. We had our cold stint here in Kansas during Christmas. And now, I don't know, 40 and 50 degree weather. I can dig it. I'm all right. Although I do enjoy the cold as well. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. I want to shift gears here for just a moment and bring it back down to the local front. Over the last week, I don't know if you've heard on the news. We've been covering it here on the news reports on KQAM, if you pay attention at all and listen throughout the week. But there was another confrontation between the Wichita Police Department and Wichita Mayor Brandon Whipple. Now, as you know, there is a mayor's election going in this year. There are some really great candidates that are about to be announced, and we'll have them on the program here very, very soon to talk about it. But uh, there is another confrontation between law enforcement and Brandon Whipple. The incident that happened earlier this week regarding two teenagers and two off-duty police officers when the two teenagers started swinging at police and then the police ended up bringing them to the ground. The parents actually uh, obviously not very happy about it. Now, the new police chief, Sullivan, said that he is working on changing some of the policy to at least notify parents because I guess that was one issue they didn't get notified on. But uh, the other issue is that the mayor really had some harsh statements for the law enforcement, which you can tell he's one of those like anti-cop guys already. He hates police. He hates the fact that he got in trouble before when he tried to drop off the stuff at the uh, the uh, the dump what was it, the community dump pile, and he got in trouble. He despises law enforcement. He's one of the defund the police guys, hardcore, and it's time for him to go as mayor. He is a an embarrassment to our city. He's an embarrassment to the community, and it's time for him to go. And if he is listening to this program, probably not. He's never come on the program, and I've never tried to get him on the program because I know he won't come on the program. But if you ever tried to come on the program, I would ask you why you despise law enforcement so terribly much in this community because after the event he said this when i saw a grown trained armed man with a hundred pounds on that kid posture up and try to kill him with a punch like that i know that this could have been a lot worse <laughs> tuesday uh, Union okay hold on here hold on that was hat tip to cake news on that uh, our partners over at cake news uh, for that audio, uh, trying to kill the kid. That's what he was just railing up and just going to kill the kid. Give me a break. You're not the brightest crane in the box, are you there, Mayor Brandon Whipple? The Fraternal Order of Police, which ironically endorsed him for mayor because they are a more left-wing progressive organization. It's a union. What do you expect? Uh, they endorsed a Brandon Whipple for mayor in the city of Wichita. Did come out with a, a statement saying, quote, we are disappointed by the mayor's statement. We would hope the mayor who is tasked with leading the city would not make reckless statements without knowing all of the facts and context. That's according to the Wichita Police Lodge at number five. Uh, my my message to you, Fraternal Order of Police, while we support law enforcement, God bless all of you for doing the jobs that you do, and thank you for everything you do to keep our community safe. Uh, the police unions, the Fraternal Order of Police, which you know my thoughts on unions, both public and or private, uh, you get what you sell. You get what you sow. If you endorse a liberal, then you're going to get liberal policy and you're going to get the hatred on your own organization while you endorse them. So I don't know how much clearer to put it. If you try to promote these candidates, then you're going to get their policies as candidates and as the elected officials. So maybe, just maybe, think it out loud here, maybe you shouldn't endorse liberal progressives who want to defund police. I'm just throwing it out there. 
throwing it out there because he's already been a left-wing crazy radical already, and thank God that we have a mayor's election coming up this year and that we can boot his ass out of office and get someone in there that's a little bit more reasonable uh, coming up soon. If you remember, the last mayor's election was kind of divided as we had uh, Jeff Longwell, which had his own issues of shenanigans in there, and a lot of people were upset with him. But Republicans and conservatives in South Central Kansas and in the city of Wichita were a bit divided between him and a few other candidates that allowed Longwell to kind of slip himself in there. Kind of like if you remember the presidential election of 2008, how Barack Obama got in there with the divisiveness between John McCain and Mitt Romney and being able to slide uh, Barack Obama right into that seat, or even the primary of that race where John McCain got the nomination with the division of conservatives between Mitt Romney and and Mike Huckabee, Republicans, we like to divide ourselves, don't we? I get it. We like to be the wicked, wild, free thinkers and independent free thinkers. Totally get it and support it all the way. Hoorah. But sometimes we do it in a way that harms us more than helps us. Sometimes we should find a way to unite, kind of like the vote last night. And lunging at each other, a little bit unnecessary. Get the emotion out of there. Think a little bit more logically and think what's going to be best for the party and for the people, which is, by the way, not being a moderate rhino. Maybe shifting it a little bit further back to our original policies. When we come back, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, the final time we get to speak with him before the transition with Chris Kobach. Stay right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. can be only one and he's right here this is kansas talk with andy hoosier on wichita's big talker kqam welcome back into kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker 1480 kqam always great to have you along for the ride really happy to have this guy on the program as we wrap up 2022 getting ready for the new year as uh, he's been in there for a while and i can't wait to talk about some of the great stuff that he's done throughout his administration and what he's done in the office and uh, moving forward but current kansas attorney general for the state of kansas mr derek schmidt back on the line with us here derek merry christmas to you my friend how are you Hey, Andy, doing great. Merry Christmas to you as well. Always good to chat with you. It's been, uh, first off, it is really great to get you back on the program here. And I know that as your guys are working on the transition of the Attorney General's office uh, from you to Chris Kobach now coming up in the next month or so, how's the transition going and how are things in the office right now? You know, it's good. Uh, we're getting me uh, packed up and moved out and kind of winding up some business, closing out some cases that we'd really like to get finished on our watch. And uh, we had... Uh, uh, Chris and his team were at the office yesterday. They've been by quite a bit, and we're getting them briefed up on things we'll be handing to them here on January 9th, and good. it'll then become theirs. So it's going well. Very good. It's good to hear. You've been you've been in there for a while, and the success stories. I've been seeing all the headlines and everything that you've been working on over the years, and I tell you what, you've had a very successful time and tenure as, uh, as Attorney General for Kansas. Talk about some of the stuff that you've worked on. Well, I appreciate that very much, Andy. And, and yeah, I mean, it's been a great run. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have served, been doing this for uh, 12 years, and then 10 years before that in the state Senate. I was actually thinking the other day, my very first year in elected office, uh, I was sworn in in January to the legislature, and in September, 9-11 happened. So I mean, I've, I've, it's been a long run with a whole lot going on in our country and in our state, and uh, you know, we've done our best to, to kind of steer things in our little corner of the world. Uh, I've kind of been summarizing the, the things that, uh, looking back, I think maybe will be our most lasting contributions at the AG's office on our watch. And 
uh, you can kind of summarize them into fighting three abuses. I know that's a little catchy, but uh, it, it really is true. Uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time and effort and made a lot of good progress uh, fighting substance abuse, addiction, uh, our litigation against the companies that peddle the dick profit in terms of the opioid crisis, their marketing practices, the one in the dramatic overprescribing of opioids led to a lot of addiction, which in turn, once that was scaled back, we still had many people addicted, and so that drove the heroin, uh, and now it's driving the fentanyl crisis. Uh, we've recovered. Uh, uh, we'll announce a couple more settlements uh, before I leave office, I believe. And uh, we'll wind up having settled our lawsuits against 10 companies, all major players wow. uh, that were part of that. We'll recover about $350 million for Kansas, an enormous amount of money. It'll come in uh, over the next about 15 years. And by working with the legislature, we've made sure that nearly all of that, not quite, but nearly all of that will be dedicated to addressing substance abuse issues, uh, prevention, mitigation, treatment, interventions, uh, That'll leave far more resources to deal with addiction than Kansas has ever devoted before, and we're very pleased with that. Uh, likewise, on the same point, uh, we finally, the state finally, is uh, getting a drug treatment prison uh, up and running up at Lansing. That's something I've worked on for 15 years. I started while I was still in the legislature and tried through the AG's office, and finally that's happening, a dedicated minimum security facility that will be entirely devoted to incarcerating relatively inmates with relatively low offense levels. These are not murderers. These are folks that stole things and that sort of thing. But where there's a finding that what's really going on there is their misbehavior, their crimes were committed because they're addicts. They're feeling and feeding an addiction. You got to get them off the streets. They're hurting other people. Uh, they've got to be held accountable for their crimes. But you've also got to have intensive, intensive intervention services to try to break that addiction and drive down repeat offenses. So very proud of that on the substance abuse side. Yeah. Uh, the second abuse is uh, that we've really pushed back on, and I think we'll leave some lasting, is uh, of vulnerable people, uh, particularly children and, uh, and older folks, elders. We've built a lot of capacity to deal with child abuse, with sexual abuse, physical abuse, and um, uh, to deal with elder abuse. We've sent more child sexual abusers to prison for life, life sentences, than any previous Attorney General's administration. We think that's a contribution to justice. And we will leave that capacity in place going forward for others to build on it. And then the final area of abuse we push back on is the abuse of power, especially by the federal government. Uh, we've been really pioneers in that, along with many other state attorneys general at this point in our nation's history. It is unfortunately necessary. I think that's largely true because Congress has become so dysfunctional. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, even the early 2000s, Congress actually functioned instead of passing these enormous once-a-year omnibus spending bills. They did separate appropriation bills, which meant there was much more time to do oversight of agencies, call federal agencies to account, keep them in check by the power of the person Congress. Uh, Congress could actually pass legislation other than these you know, few enormous bills. And none of that happens now. Congress is largely broken. And because of that, agencies have been able to run amok. And uh, we've been left as state attorneys general to push back in the courts and to really try to enforce the boundaries of federalism. And we've done a lot of that, uh, pushing back on abuse of power, everything from challenging parts of Obamacare to blocking federal vaccine mandates to stopping the waters of the U.S. Uh, rule. Um, and so, you know, those are areas I think uh, hopefully are going to be lasting and will be built on by those who come next. 
Amen to that. I love all of it all across the board. The attorney general's office isn't one that usually gets a lot of attention from the mainstream media or from the general public and all and all. But you just talked about, I mean, so many important issues that we get to utilize under that office because of how vital that role really is. Let's go back to the opioid thing for a second. I know you've been working on this stuff for a long time with going after a lot of these companies, and it's finally coming to fruition, which is absolutely amazing, bringing money back into the state. But it's not just winning to bring money back in, but it's starting to change the policy from the corporations and from the pharmaceutical companies that are trying to push uh, these certain pills or these certain vaping things or whatever else that you guys have been working on, and then working on the treatment to actually get people off of these substances here in the state of Kansas. I see a good future in Kansas because of all the changes that you guys have made and the work that you guys have been able to do. Well, thanks. I I think it is going to make a difference going forward. Um, You know, look, I'm a Southeast Kansas guy. I grew up in an area where uh, the, the the meth lab crisis was enormous um, back as I was a young adult, and I mean I have friends who have ended up in prison. I have friends who have ended up dead uh, because of their addiction. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And uh, you know we're not going to fix it overnight. There are there are human attributes that uh, you know tend to allow that. But what we can do is focus on some of the specific areas where we know we can change behavior that in turn will make a positive difference. And, you know, the conduct, the behavior of some of these companies that just put profits over human suffering uh, back in the, as I say, in the 90s and the early 2000s, it's just unconscionable to me. The evidence is compelling. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were shipping and selling highly addictive drugs uh, at, at rates far above what was medically necessary. Sometimes I'll hear somebody say to me, well, Derek, you know, you, I, I have chronic pain and, and I need prescription uh, painkillers, opioids to treat it, and, and you're going to make it more difficult. And my response to that is always nobody is trying to interfere with a doctor's legitimate judgment about how to treat a patient. Nobody is doing that. But that's not the problem we were focused on. The problem we've been focused on is once a doctor has made a legitimate judgment, there were companies that are not doctors. They're in the business of selling drugs and making a lot of money off of it, who then push doctors uh, to prescribe even more. And and it's because they were making a lot of money, billions of dollars with a B. And, uh, and it came at the expense of enormous human suffering. So uh, I feel good about that. And we've changed the behavior of some of these companies. That's a very good thing. Uh, we brought money back into the state that can be used now to deal with um, addiction issues for, in many cases, another generation of Kansans yeah. who are now addicted. And uh, so it, it's it's positive. It is very positive. On the same note, to a degree, I know we have the fentanyl issue that we've been dealing with in the state of Kansas. The guy's kind of into it as well, you know, with this fentanyl that's going into some of the drugs when we're not aware of it. How important is it tying this issue into the southern border issue and all the fentanyl that's coming into the country and into the state of Kansas? It's critical. I mean, the current fentanyl crisis, as we've talked about before on your show, Andy, this is not an accidental crisis. It didn't just happen. Um, it, you know, it happened because uh, America showed weakness. And by that, what I mean is uh, we've had 20-plus years now where we've been discussing and now dealing with uh, the uh, opioid addiction epidemic that we've been, you know, I've been talking about here at the last few minutes. Um, once the, the source, the addiction was caused in large part by overprescribing, by the abuse of the marketplace and of people by these companies, but once they, once we got them in check and they pulled back the oversupply of prescription drugs, you still had a lot of people who were still addicts. And some of those folks, um, you know, they, they then sought alternate sources. 
And so they looked for other supplies of opioids to feed the addiction that had been created by the overprescribing. The first immediate source was heroin, a traditional opioid uh, illicit on the street. We saw a spike in heroin sales uh, a handful of years ago because of that. But then the, the Chinese and the Mexican cartels uh, figured out that we've got this enormous opioid addiction problem in, in the United States. They can feed it with this synthetic opioid, fentanyl, uh, make a lot of money, gain more control from the vantage point of the Chinese Communist Party, perhaps uh, inflict some damage on America from the standpoint of the cartels, make an enormous amount of money. And so uh, here you go. They've come in to fuel that market. And, and you know, we're going to have to choke it down on all fronts. It, it, it's not going to work only to work on the supply side. But it's also not going to work only to work on the demand side. You have to do both. You've got to deal with the addiction that's driving this. That's what we're trying to do with the money we've recovered from the opioid companies. But you also have to deal with the supply, which is standing with law enforcement, strong enforcement on the streets, close the southern border, make it harder for the cartels to supply their market, drive up their cost of doing business, uh, and try to choke off some of that supply. It's, it's an enormous problem. Uh, and it continues to snowball, and we simply must do better on it. Yeah, we got to fix that one pretty quickly uh, as well. Tying in with that, I know you've been part of the lawsuit nationally as well regarding the Title 42 issues as the judges are looking at this on whether to continue Title 42 or to end it and uh, allow the flood to come into the country. Is that a concern that if that does go away and more people start coming in that we could see a massive increase of fentanyl along with human trafficking and arms and everything else as well? Absolutely it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I compare the situation at the southern border. I, I grew up in rural Kansas. We spent a lot of time out on the farm where you just kind of fix stuff. And, you know, we would literally fix, uh, you know, very expensive equipment when it broke down sometimes with baling wire and a, and a pair of pliers. That's the old expression, and it was true. And, and I feel like that's where we are as a country with our southern border. Uh, what really needs to happen is Congress, the president, need to get together and fix this darn broken immigration system that everybody agrees uh, does not work, um, uh, certainly does not work the way it's intended to or needed to. We need to be able to have people coming in and out, out of the country. We're a nation of immigrants. We're a welcoming country, and we need labor. But we don't need to accomplish that by simply flinging open the southern border and saying whoever wants to come, come. There is a way to fix the system and secure the border so you know who's coming in and out, you control who's coming in and out, and Congress just doesn't seem to be able to get its act together and do that. So, you know, we've stepped up as state AGs with bailing wire and tried to wire the door shut as best we can. One of those ways is with Title 42. Title 42 is a public health measure that's tied to the pandemic, uh, but it's been an effective tool, an effective piece of bailing wire to keep the door at least partially shut, and uh, we would very much like to keep it in place for as long as we can current situation is a federal court has ordered Title 42 to go away. The Biden administration really kind of agrees with that. And so we've stepped up and tried to get into that lawsuit and uh, so we can appeal it and say, hey, no, there is another side to the story here. Keep this tool in place. Keep the bailing wire available. Yeah. Uh, and we're right now in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts has temporarily um, frozen the status quo, which is good for us, keeping Title 42 in place. Don't know how long that'll last. We'll get some further word from the court, uh, maybe today or maybe in a few days. But uh, every day we can we can keep that door wired closed to continue the metaphor, or at least partially closed, is uh, is, is is helpful. One step at a time. We're talking with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. We got a few minutes left here with you, and I appreciate your time very much. Uh, as you talked about as well, with some of the successes that you've had during the office, is uh, working on the federalism, trying to keep the agencies at bay from the federal government, trying to bring power back down 
to the state government. I know that Chris Kobach had said that that's definitely going to be a priority for him as well once he takes over the office as, uh, at the same time. Uh, what else can we do and how, to, to, in your tenure over the years working as Attorney General, have you seen a change and have you seen some power shift back to the states after all the battles that you fought? Well, yes, is the short answer. And and I think this is an absolutely critical function of state attorneys general now, both for Republicans and Democrats. It's not ideologically driven, or at least it's not exclusively on one side of the, of the philosophical spectrum. Uh, we use uh, judicial tools to push back against federal actions that uh, we think are illegal as well as bad for Kansas, and so do my Democrat counterparts in other states. Uh, it's a relatively new role for state attorneys general. You know, sometimes if you talk with former attorneys general, not just in Kansas, but around the country, those who served in the 1980s or 90s or even early 2000s, they, they sort of cock an eyebrow and, and wonder why you're doing all this. And sometimes they even go so far as to say it's all just political. And with all respect to them, they're, they're just mistaken about that. Uh, the times were different when they served. And the principal variable, at least in my mind, is, as I suggested earlier, Congress actually worked back then. It functioned. It conducted oversight. It held federal agencies in check in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s. It could pass bills when agencies were doing things that were uh, ill-advised, undesirable, or that you know the public didn't agree with. But now Congress is gridlocked. Uh, now they, they don't perform uh, their, their traditional functions, and the agencies know it. So the agencies can run amok, or, or to put it a different way that's a little less stark, the agencies become far more responsive to pressure from the, the president's administration, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, without a check on that responsiveness. Instead of the rule of law, it's the command of the White House, either explicit or implicit. And that allows wide swings in agency actions that in years past would have been checked by Congress. Now they're not. And so we've stepped into the gap. And that's why you've seen in the last decade, more or less, maybe 15 years maximum, state attorneys general become much more active in challenging federal actions, especially federal agency actions. And we've been winning. I mean, we don't win them all, but we win more than we lose, which is a pretty good indication that we're, we're needed in the space, that the agencies are, in fact, acting in violation of law. And so, you know, I think we have to continue to do that, and I'm, I'm certain that my successor will do that. I think that's important. It's a good thing. Uh, you don't know what that's going to look like in the future because you don't know what actions the agencies are going to take. But there has to be a policeman at the boundaries. And if Congress won't play that role, we must. Amen to that. I completely agree 100%. We have to remind them that while we are a collective United States of America, we're also sovereign states that have about, or at least supposed to, originally constitutionally supposed to have the majority of the power back down to the statewide level to make our own decisions, something that I think they've forgotten a long time ago. We're out of time, my friend. It's Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Uh, thank you so much for what you've done over the years, my friend. It's an honor to get you back on the program, and uh, hopefully you can kick back now. You can enjoy some family time, and hopefully we hear your name again real soon. Sounds great. I'm so grateful, Andy. Thanks for having me on, not just today, but uh, over the months and years. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. Merry Christmas. Right back here on Candace Talk on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM.
Welcome back into the program. A few minutes here, wrapping up hour number one. Thanks again to Attorney General Derek Schmidt coming on the program the final time as Attorney General. And we appreciate everything that he's done for all the years that he's been in office. Great friend. We've had him on the show for those that have listened to the show semi-consistently. We've had a monthly interview with him, the updates on what's going on with the Attorney General's office in the state of Kansas, and a lot of big things. Donald Trump says a lot of huge and bigly things that he's been able to work on, bring money to the state of Kansas, fighting a lot of the opioid crises, fighting a lot of the corporations, just passing out the poppin' pills stuff every day. And uh, thank God for him and what he's been able to do to fight for that. And uh, we appreciate everything that he's done. We are excited as well about having Chris Kobach transition into that position as Attorney General as well, taking over and continuing that fight along with stepping up the fight against the federal government, trying to create that whole concept of, you know, like federalism again. You know, the separation between the federal government and the state government, what the government's supposed to be doing in the duties of each level of government in our federalist system, which is awesome. So we appreciate that. We're going to get Chris Kobach back on the program again here real soon as well. Uh, when we come back in hour number two, we have a lot of great conversation. We're going to bring back the conversation regarding the vote of Kevin McCarthy late last night, the near brawl that happened on the House floor Come on, man. That's just entertaining. That's what we need to have. We need to have passion, baby. I want to see the emotion and the passion. I think it was a little bit on the wrong side of the passion, but nonetheless, it was passion. So I'm at least excited to see that they give a crap about what they're doing in D.C. So we'll talk about that. I want to get your thoughts on it. We'll open up lines to you also in studio with us for uh, a good portion of the hour. And have State Representative Nick Holheisel in with us as we kick off legislative session 2023, starting off on Monday. Are you excited? As you know, for months now, the media has been talking about what we're going to address in this session, including the possibility of now medical marijuana in the state of Kansas. Is it going to finally happen? Colorado has it on both the recreational and the medical. Oklahoma has it essentially on the recreational and the medical. Missouri's legalized it. Nebraska's working on it. We're working on it. We're sandwiched. We have to address it one way or the other. Is it about time for Kansas to do so? Plus, we'll talk about some of the other issues. We have the sales tax on food. We have the new leadership with Dan Hawkins now, a good friend as well to the program right here in the Wichita area as our Speaker of the House in the state. Lots to get to as we kick off the new session. It's going to be an interesting one. We'll do all that and more with your phone calls with State Representative Nicole Heisel right around the corner right here on Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome into Kansas Talk. It is hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Good Saturday morning to you. Up and going, baby. Happy 2023. Our first episode back at it after the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. What is your New Year's resolution? Although, here's the thing. I'm going to wait and celebrate New Year's in March. You know why? Because historically, New Year's was supposed to be after the winter time, during the planting, during the seeding, during the... Uh, rebirth, quote-unquote, of the seasons. October is supposed to be number eight. November is supposed to be number nine. Deck December is supposed to be number ten. I don't know why they're 10, 11, and 12. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
come and hang out with you, and we'll party again. I'm we'll, fine with another that's New right. Year's party. We'll party again in March. That's what there it's all about. Welcome into the show. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we'd love to hear from you today. There's a lot we want to talk about. We are still taking calls regarding the um, fun excitement that happened in Washington, D.C. last night. Uh, with the Kevin McCarthy vote, we officially now have a Speaker of the House for the U.S. after 15 votes. The first time that's happened in over 100 years, so that's fun. I do want to take some calls on that. Your thoughts on it? Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman from Colorado, just our neighbor to the west of us. Matt Gates down in Florida, the sixth that voted present, lowering that threshold and allowing Kevin McCarthy to be able to get that nomination that happened over after midnight last night. Hey, I want to tell you first about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. Great partners here on KQAM, great partners with us right here on Candace Talk. They were voted 2022 Best Of by the Wichita Eagle for all your appliances. If you went through the holidays and maybe you burnt up your oven or your refrigerator or something crazy happened during the holidays or the season or maybe going into the cold weather now, make sure to check them out because they can help you. They are awesome. Years of experience. They know how to get the stuff fixed. Both the old school. I love the old school refrigerators because they don't die as much. Nothing that's connected to actual computers or the smart ones now. As well, check them out. Napoleon Appliance Repair. You can find them on Facebook, Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC, on Facebook. Also, call them at 316-409-1525. Again, 316-409-1525. It's Napoleon Appliance Repair. Call Mike and the team over there. We appreciate them very much. Happy New Year to you guys, and give them a buzz. All right, in studio with us here as we kick off legislative session of 2023. It starts on Monday. There's a big legislative session. I, I think I'm... I feel the energy of this year more than I have, I think, in previous years because there is a lot of things you guys are going to address. But right here in studio with us from District Number 97 here in the Wichita area, State Representative Mr. Nick Oheisel. Nick, what's going on, brother? Hey, great to be on, Andy. It's been a while. It has been a while, and it's good to have you back in studio. And, man, I'm telling you, this year, after the after the excitement from the midterms, this year is going to be a crazy session. It's going to be. I mean, I think we are on the cusp of of deciding the future of our state this year. Uh, we have a lot of major decisions that we're going to work through and hopefully put our state on a more sustainable path in the future economically, socially, and everything. There's a lot of issues we're going to talk about throughout this hour, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. If you have any questions for Nick, you can also call at 316-721-8255. Uh, obviously, one of the bigger issues that we've been talking about is marijuana yeah. and i remember when you ran for the for the legislative seat uh just a few years ago mm-hmm. and that was one of your platforms what you wanted yeah. to do you wanted to address this issue now we have as i've said so many times now we have colorado that's recreational we have oklahoma that's essentially recreational we have missouri that's going recreational here as well after passing it we are sandwiched in three different ways of states not just with medical marijuana but recreational marijuana yeah. we know what's going to bleed into the state of kansas so here in kansas we need to make a decision we can't sit back and just wish it would go away and put the blinders on we have to decide are we going to ban it completely are we going to uh and beef up by the way if we do that we have to beef up law enforcement because you know it's going to be coming into the state from all three sides are we going to legalize it on the recreational side are we going to legalize it on the medical side with all these restrictions where are we going to go with this what's your thoughts here you know, I think of those three options. Um, recreational is is not on the table. Um, that conversation may be had further down the line. I I, I would assume years and years from now. Um, the conversation we've had centers around medical. Um, I was appointed this uh, off session this spring, or I'm sorry, this fall and winter on the uh, 
medical marijuana interim committee is a joint committee with the house joint no pun intended uh committee with the house <laughs> and the senate yeah well done well done yeah um so we uh <laughs> we 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 discussed the topic we heard testimony from just you know dozens of of interested parties from doctors to law enforcement to um, advocates of, of medical marijuana to opponents of medical marijuana. We, I mean, it was a wide range. We heard from a lot of people, a lot of excellent testimony. Um, the feeling I get, especially from law enforcement and the opponents, are they still oppose it. They, they, they oppose it. They will always oppose it, especially law enforcement. They will always oppose it. But they've gone from just strictly opposing to, while still opposing, uh, being pragmatist and understanding that, hey, this eventually probably will happen. So let us help you form the tightest, most restrictive uh, medical marijuana bill that we can, fixing all the holes. I mean, they brought up a we, – we passed the – the House passed a medical marijuana bill two years ago. Yeah. Went to the Senate and, and died in the Senate. Um, we were kind of going off, off that template – and they brought up a lot of, of valid points on holes within that uh, medical marijuana bill and the law enforcement uh, side of things, including what do we do with our, our county jails? If medical marijuana is prescribed as any other prescription, um, the, the jails have to give those prescriptions to inmates. If medical marijuana is a prescription, are, are we going to force jails, which are a, an entity of law enforcement, to violate federal law because marijuana is still a Schedule One narcotic on the federal level? Are we going to force jails to violate federal law in order to give inmates medical marijuana? Who's yeah. going to pay for that marijuana? Is it going to be the taxpayers? How do, how do these jails get the marijuana? And what does that do within the jail? Um, so it was, you know, it was a great discussion. We were looking at that and kind of what some other states, how they addressed it. But that's kind of where the conversation's gone from. A lot of opponents still opposed to it, but kind of understanding that, hey, eventually this is going to happen. As you said, we're surrounded by three states. Um, so let us help you guys try to craft the best medical marijuana bill we can. Yeah. The question is going to be now is what will the bill look like for a medical side and what kind of regulations are going to be put on it? I'm, I'm hoping that after seeing all these states do this and pass it in some way, shape, or form, that we've learned the lessons. Colorado yes. was the first one that jumped on board, and they were a disaster at the at the mm -hmm. beginning because they just wanted to be the social experiment, wanted to be the first one, and they had a lot of unintended consequences. My concern, coming from Colorado originally, is with us putting a lot of red tape on this, is how do we enforce something like that? I mean, Colorado had the points where you could even grow your own plant, but you could only have six plants. You couldn't yeah. have seven plants. You could have a certain amount of ounces, but not if you go over that, then you're in trouble. It depended on what law enforcement pulled you over, whether it was the city of Denver or whether it was the state of Colorado or a federal officer, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, that went after you. And again, how do we regulate something like that? If, oh, you have... You have five and a half ounces. You don't have five ounces. Therefore, you're yeah. going to go to jail now. Is that really the best way to enforce something like this? Yeah. No, I I mean, it's it's an excellent point. And I think that's a concern with law enforcement um, is we're going to put a lot of officers in tough spots. Um, and how do we know? How do we verify that these folks do have a prescription or a recommendation for medical marijuana that they are allowed to have uh, this amount of medical marijuana? I, I think the bill we're going off of. Uh, states a 30-day supply of medical marijuana at one time. Um, and, and, you know, if you're transporting it, it has to be in a closed, sealed container. Um, there's a lot of questions still with it. Um, I, I think anything that comes out uh, this session on medical marijuana will be pretty restrictive, uh, just seeing how 
the Kansas House kind of got a little further to the right due to past elect uh, this last election. Sure. So it's a little bit more conservative. Uh, it would come out of the Senate, which is pretty conservative as well. So I think anything that we do pass in the state of Kansas will be a pretty, it may be the most restrictive one in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning, like you said, at the beginning, and that may evolve because once we start seeing the effects of it one way or the other, then we can adapt to it. And and, and yeah. I think once the door is open, whether it is a session, whether it's 10 years from now, it will, I think, lead to recreational at some point, which is, I think, the fear for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it will because at some point we'll realize how we can't keep regulating it and enforcing it the way we are. It's using up way too many resources. And do we take people off of a crime thing as opposed to, you know, a drug enforcement deal? And uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation for the next few years. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, like I said, I don't think I know there's some Democrats that would like to go to rec or yeah, the recreational. Um, but I don't I, there's obviously not the votes in the House on the Republican side for recreational. And I, I know a number of Democrats who are not on board of recreational right now. So that conversation is probably I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that conversation doesn't come up for a decade. Um, you know, it might be in the 2030s when that conversation comes up. And one of the good things, though, and and I know it frustrates a lot of people, a lot of advocates for for medical marijuana, that we are one of the last three states. But one of the good things about being uh, one of the last states is we can copy, we can look at what other states have done, what we felt. I mean, one thing we've learned is to do nothing the same way that Oklahoma did. Yes. Their marijuana <laughs> legislation is such a mess down. And part of it was because a lot of their medical marijuana um legislation on there was written via it was like a referendum so it wasn't written by the legislator it was written by you know just advocates and and folks like that so um we we've got to see what has failed in other states and kind of take take the good that's worked in these states and and learn the lessons of the bad that's worked in these states so that that that's given us an opportunity the fact that we're one of the last three i know it's frustrating but we, we find a silver lining. in Yeah, that. you're right. We get to fine tune it and actually make the best system we can out of it based yeah. on what other states have done. I love that. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. We have a lot of calls on the line regarding this issue. So, you know, of course, so, we had to bring up the popular one, poke the bear right off the bat this morning. Right. Also, I want to take some calls out of Washington, D.C., as well as uh, you may just be tuning in. We do officially have our new Speaker of the House at the federal level, Kevin McCarthy, after 15 votes after midnight last how, night. How, how many days was that? That, that was, was four days. Four days. So four days we went without a Congress. Yeah. And, and society, I hey. society didn't implode. Like, <laughs> society didn't implode. The government <laughs> yeah, essentially shut fine. down and we didn't pass. No. I said for every day that we're not, uh, we don't have a Speaker of the House is a day they're not passing legislation to restrict freedoms. Exactly. I, I was just like, hey, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. They can extend it out till the spring. I'm I'm good without having a Congress. Man, what about you know, the I, uh, physical I, I, confrontation last night? That was interesting. That was interesting. I mean, you can go back and read the past stories of, you know, especially during the Civil War and what went on on, on the congressional floor. Um, with doles and people fighting each other. But last night was was pretty eye-opening. Pretty interesting for sure. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Mr. Ray. Ray, what's happening, brother? Oh, I'm just having a good old time. It's what we do. What's on your hey, mind yeah. this morning? Okay. Uh, uh, there, how come there's no crime statistics on what these nasty marijuana people do? Are they out robbing banks and stuff? What's going on? Are they crashing their cars into buildings? Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to, you know, who, who's putting this stuff out? Let's face it, uh, people with alcohol problems are, are uh, way, way, way worse 
how, how many uh, how many people how many hippies are in jail because they were violent? How come we don't have this conversation? It's a great question. I know this if, at the beginning when Colorado first passed theirs, that was a big issue was individuals that were driving under the influence. And the question was, how do we measure it since it affects everybody differently? How yeah. can we tell if you're over the influence to be able to drive? I know that they've worked out a, a system because I don't hear much about that. But you're right. They're not. I mean, alcohol does a lot different things than marijuana does. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was a, a point that law enforcement brought up, too, when they testified in the interim medical marijuana committee was, um, you know, field sobriety test. And how do you know if somebody's driving under influence? Obviously, you can do like a physical field sobriety test and see if they're under any kind of influence. Um, but medical or I'm sorry, marijuana stays in your system for up to 30 days. Mm -hmm. So if you do a, a blood sample and they could have, you know, ingested marijuana two weeks ago and they're obviously still not under the influence of it when they're driving, but they test positive, but they test positive because it's in their blood system for up to 30 days. So that is, that is a thing. There are some technological advances that have been made in that field. Um, it would require law enforcement to, to, purchase some new uh, equipment and that equipment can be costly. Another issue that came up was drug sniffing dogs. Mm. Drug sniffing dogs cost thirty to $40,000. Sure. And the dogs that law enforcement have trained now are trained to hit on marijuana. Sure. And you can't untrain that. Yeah. Once they so, know it. Yeah. yeah. So law enforcement around the state, you're talking, you know, local sheriffs, local police departments all over the state would be forced to purchase new drug sniffing dogs that don't hit on marijuana sure and that can be costly yeah i've got one more thing you bet uh okay if if we legalize marijuana in kansas across the board then uh those trashy uh cartel cartels in mexico and colombia (laughs) wouldn't be able to sell any pot in kansas yeah. so well, that's true it, well depending on the tax rate yes that was what i was about to bring up the key point of that <laughs> and this is the issue with with places like california california still has a black drug market um because Bigger than it was yeah because they tax it so high that it's a so much cheaper just to go buy it on the black market where you're buying it tax-free than going and paying the 30 40 percent tax on top of of whatever it costs for that product so it's key to find a tax rate that still allows us to take resources and invest into certain drug treatment programs or help for individuals while still being low enough that we get away from the black market. Exactly. That's a big point of it. Ray, I appreciate that. You nailed it right on. There's a lot of great questions there, and uh, I'm hopefully that we can address those properly. Got to take a break here real quick. Happy New Year to you, Ray, and uh, good to hear from you. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. we got some more calls on the line. Also, a free one open now at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Your thoughts on the marijuana, on what's going on in D.C., a lot of things to talk about today. The tax rate is going to be the huge one. Colorado, yes. the same issue. Black market jumped because they felt too greedy and wanted to tax it too high. Ah, is that going to be an issue that we do here as well if we go down this road? Lots to get to right around the corner, 22 minutes past the hour. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM.
26 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. Hanging out here with State Representative Nicola Heisel here in the Wichita area. Great conversations. We're not going to spend the entire time on marijuana, but obviously it is a big one because, well, we need to address it. And uh, right now, as you said, the bill, so the bill's sitting in the Senate right now. You guys did your due diligence last year. I'm assuming there so, may be some tweaks to send back to you. So so now that we're having a new legislative term, uh, we get sworn in Monday. Actually, all the legislation from the last two years is dead. Oh, it is? Okay, so, so you start be, all over then. Yeah, we start all over again. There is a bill that um, was kind of crafted with the Medical Marijuana Interim Committee that will be uh, submitted to the Senate. So we'll start on the Senate side. Uh, the Senate will have the opportunity this time to work through everything, and then they'll send it to us, possibly send it to us, where we'll get our shot to make changes we want, or we could just pass it on to the governor. Um, but I expect any medical marijuana discussions this this term to start in the Senate. Interesting. Yeah. Because it seems like the Senate's going to be the one dragging their feet this year. Yeah, I mean, that that's a conversation. I know they, they would rather have a more conservative piece of legislation. I know there's a lot of people on, on that side of the uh, chamber, I guess, yeah. that kind of are, are hesitant. Hesitant, that's the word we'll say. <laughs> very hesitant on it. Um, but I expect anything that, com- that comes out from them will be very well thought out, very well restrictive. And um, like I said, it's probably going to be the most restrictive in the country. Interesting. It, it doesn't surprise me, and I've said this on the air before, that uh, we're going so restrictive and so slow. I mean, we did the agricultural hemp, and that's still in like the trial phases yeah. right now, isn't it? And it's yeah. really expensive. A lot of farmers aren't even wanting to be part of that program because it's so expensive to get the license to even yeah. do it. Yeah, we've we've heard a lot of um, negative things from farmers on, on the industrial hemp side. The program, I, I don't believe, is working at all, mm. um, which is kind of sad because the it's a state huge of opportunity. Kansas, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. The state of Kansas is facing a drought. Hemp is a low water crop. We need more of that when we're facing a drought and the water issues we have in our state. So, want to put some nitrogen back into the soil. It helps yes. out a lot of things to replenish for the next crop, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We need to have a conversation that can go along with the medical marijuana conversation on revamping our hemp program here in Kansas. Yeah. Very interesting. It is, I mean, Kansas has been, I don't want to say slow to do a lot of things, but they've been staying very restrictive and conservative on a lot of issues. When I moved here in Kansas, what, 10 years ago, we still weren't allowed to buy alcohol on Sundays, which yeah. blew my mind. Like, okay, I'm just going to stock up double on Saturday to drink it on Sunday. Like, what's the point of not allowing me to buy yeah. it on Sunday? doesn't make any sense to me. So there's a, there's a lot of things where we just like to move a little bit slower on these issues. Yeah. And it happens, That's but that's the legislative progress and, or process, and people have their say. And um, I encourage folks, if you think we're moving too slow on this issue, to contact your representative or senator and, and let them know. There we go. I love it. All right. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. We'll shift gears a little bit. We'll talk about the new leadership, Dan Hawkins, being the new Speaker of the House, that didn't have as much of a challenge as Washington, D.C. We'll talk about some of the other issues, sales tax on food. We'll we'll go away completely this year with us talking about it now that we've already seen a 2.5% decrease. Also, we have some phone calls on the line. Don't hang up. We're starting off the next segment with you. Open line as well at 316-721-8255. It's Candace Talk. Wichita's number one conservative local talk radio program right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. Stay here.
are listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, you are. Welcome back in. Boy, that was a short, sweet, and ready to go. Absolutely. All right. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. It is Kansas Talk on the last half hour of the show. Good golly. It flies right on by every Saturday. Coming up in just a little bit, 11 o'clock, it is the weekend with Michael Brown out of Denver, Colorado, his home base at 630 KHOW. Uh, I got to meet him a few times when I was interning for Mike Rose and the big kahuna out of Colorado. Michael Brown had filled in for the program a few times, got to meet with him. Great individual and great host as well. Michael Brown with the weekend. You can listen to 11 to 2 right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Until then, we're hanging out with State Representative Nick Holheisel here for a little bit more as we talk about the marijuana bills that's coming up. Also, uh, we'll get into some other issues here in a second as well, but we have some callers on the line. So let's go back to them. Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. Mr. Sean, what's happening, brother? Well, touch the nerve again, buddy. All right, go for it. What do you got? You know this is a sensitive subject with me, and I say that because I lost over the last, uh, well, back over the last 10 years or so, but actually a little longer, a couple of friends who died as a result of uh, starting out on marijuana and then graduated to other illegal narcotics. One of them died in her sleep from a drug overdose, whatever okay. it was she was taking after she left her husband and her kids and moved in with the guy that was selling her, giving her the stuff, supplying her. You know, and then another friend that I've known since childhood as well, uh, he he started out on weed and um, he joined the Air Force. And the Air Force, after he got done with the basic training they uh, uh, and uh, tech school, uh, he got assigned to McConnell Air Force Base and um, eventually hooked back up with his old friends. and wound up getting kicked out of the air force for smoking weed. And, um, eventually he, uh, started doing other drugs and, uh, to the point that, uh, it ruined his life. He wound up, uh, suffering from drug induced, uh, paranoid schizophrenia. And, um, several years ago got blown away by the police mm. because he thought that, uh, the police that were knocking on his door were burglars trying to get in. And um, I don't remember now the details after all these years of what uh, caused the police to have the shooting. But, uh, um, you know, they started out on marijuana. Now, there is no medical benefit whatsoever to marijuana. All right. And I don't care what the other states around us are doing when it comes. They all started out with medical marijuana which was just a way of just a stepping stone to legalizing it for recreational use just to raise tax revenue. And then that caused, that doesn't do anything to stop drug dealers. That just creates competition in the form of, yeah, a black market, but still. So it doesn't, it doesn't get rid of drug dealers like the, uh, some politicians thought it would. It doesn't get rid of that problem at all. It just uh, uh, makes the problem worse. Well, again, I think okay. that I think that comes down to the tax rate. I mean, if you have it at a reasonable tax rate, then at least for me, if I were, which I don't partake in it, I don't have any interest in it personally. But if I did and it was legal and I had the choice of getting it black market or getting it through the process, I would want to go to a shop, walk into a shop and know that it's clean, know that there's nothing else laced in it, know that it's completely secure and buy it as a reasonable price and walk out. But like California, like Colorado, like other places, when they try to jack it up to a 30 percent tax rate, 
that makes me question it. Be like, you know what? I'm still going to go behind the pot shop and buy it from the guy in the alley that has it, you know, a third of the price and, uh, you know, take my chance on what may be in it as opposed to going into the shop. So it can create a massive black market, but other states that have done it with a reasonable tax rate, there is no black market. They have competition for regular businesses, either growing it or selling it, but there's not a black market because people feel more comfortable knowing that it's gone through some type of testing to make sure that it's safe for you. Well, listen, I, I you know, aside from the, the legal aspect of it, um, let me just quote something or let me just uh, bring something up that I heard eleven back in 2011 on Rush Limbaugh's show when a 13-year-old girl called him up. And uh, the profound wisdom that came out of this 13-year-old girl when she was talking about uh, just because you have the right, don't make it right. I sure. mean, if the, latest, if the latest passing fashion, you know, was for people to go jump off that bridge that spans the Rural Gorge in Colorado, you know, doesn't doesn't mean I would do it because it may be the fashionable thing to do, but it ain't the right thing to do. It's a stupid thing to do because you're going to die. Sure. Well, okay. I mean, and, I mean that we can apply that to here as well. If it is legal, I mean, we can choose not to partake in it as well. I, I want to get your thoughts on this real quick, Nick. Here with uh, with some of the comments. I mean, as we again, this is I'm glad we have this conversation because this is where we want to make sure if we go down this road, we do it the right way. What are your Sir, thoughts? Yeah, and and you know, I sympathize with you on on the tragedies that you've suffered with uh, those individuals that have passed away. Um, but I I would kind of point out that. Uh, marijuana is banned right now and this still happened so if folks want to go out and they want to get marijuana um, and and then it happens to be a gateway drug they're still able to do that right now I mean it's all over the place you know you can go to any straight corner and, and purchase it so the prohibition didn't stop that to begin with I, I would counter with um, you know, anything that comes out again will be very restrictive and the, the list of conditions will be very tight. And a lot of these conditions, it's, it's for pain relief. And when we talk about opioid overdoses and folks who are getting hooked on opioids right now, this gives them another avenue. I, I remember knocking doors in my district uh, a couple of years ago and I had this older gentleman uh, that came to the door. He, I mean, he had a, a MAGA hat on, he had Fox News in the background. He was probably in his 60s. And, you know, I, I, I thought we were going to talk about immigration or, or something like that. And the first question he asked me was about medical marijuana and where I stood on it. And we had a good discussion. He explained to me that he served in uh, the military. And he's had individuals uh, who served in the military with him pass away because they got hooked on opioids. And it causes it caused great harm to them. And they passed away. And so he chooses not to do opioids. He actually chooses to drive to Colorado to get medical marijuana. And he's tired. He went and he fought for his country and he's tired of his state and, and his country making him a criminal for going out and, and having to drive to Colorado to purchase medical marijuana for pain relief because he does not want to get hooked on opioids. Mm. So um, that was really eye opening to me when we had that discussion. And this guy who was willing to drive all the way to Colorado in a Joe Biden economy with gas prices as high as they are just to purchase to medical that. marijuana because he did not want to get hooked on opioids. It brings up a good point. I mean, the the addiction of, you know, Vicodin, some of the others are pain yeah. medications. You can get addicted just as much. Sean, I want to ask you one more question before we take another phone call here. But what your thoughts on 
not just the smoking of it, but the other the other products that you can get the the ointments and the creams for you know the arthritis and for the joint pain that you can use that still has you know that stuff in it. I mean, now it's not just getting a bud and putting it in a pipe and smoking it. There are other ways of doing this. Are those okay? And you know, would you be open to some of those? Well, listen, uh, Andy. Since 2015, I can't get floor tabs from the VA anymore. Mm. Okay, because of drug addicts and the DEA. The uh, legalized, uh, legal uh, narcotic painkillers are treated like, uh, you know, it's uh, illegal, okay? And I suffer from nerve pain that sometimes leaves me screaming bloody freaking murder. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I can get from the VA is freaking ibuprofen. And so I take the ibuprofen and I use the lidocaine. Uh, 4%, that aspirin roll, that, that don't do nothing for nerve pain. It might help for minor aches and pain. It don't do nothing for nerve pain, man. If you've never suffered from sciatica or neuropathy, you have no idea just how painful it can be. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the, I've gotten woke up in the middle of the night, uh, uh, from my own, from my own screaming in my sleep because of the pain, you know, sometimes absolutely paralyzed, but the, uh, 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 here a couple of months ago, if I could have, uh, called an ambulance, um, to get me to an emergency room because of the pain I was going through, I would have, but I forgot and left my phone sitting on the table. And when I went to reach for it, I couldn't move and I couldn't get up cause I was, uh, mostly paralyzed. Hey, Sean, so, let me, uh, let, let me ask you, uh, in, in your situation there, let's say the state of Kansas did, did move forward with legalization, the medical marijuana, would you experiment with it would you try it once to see if it helped relieve your pain it's not going to do anything for pain okay you, 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 you wouldn't you, you wouldn't try it to to even experience to see so get lung cancer just to kill some pain so uh, so so, so <laughs> anything yeah anything that passes in kansas will not be smokable it will be ingestible so it'll actually be in just like it'll be the pill, gummy bears edible the form jam. something like that well, it, why didn't you say that in the first place? I mean, yeah. That's a good po- I get, mean, that's a good point. That's, you it, can get THC, you know, extracted from the plant in the form of a pill, but then once again, we're back to now you got to worry about your liver. You see, it's the same difference with Lortabs and Vicodin and other things you got to take orally to kill pain in the form of a narcotic no, painkiller. Yeah, I agree. So if it was in, in, in tablet form or, or some kind of edible form, would you experiment with it then? If it was legal, well, of course. I, I don't even like taking uh, the other stuff because I don't like being high. Even if it does kill the pain, I'm I'm absolutely worthless. I mean, I can't get behind the wheel of a vehicle yeah. after uh, I've taken a couple of uh, one or two lower tab fives, mm-hmm. which I can't get anymore. Yeah, I can't I can't take anything over lower tab five or it, I'm mm-hmm. I'm such a lightweight it it knocks me out. That's true, Sean. I want to get some other phone calls here, but it's a great point, and I and I I get it, and that's why. I'm glad we have the conversation here so we can kind of experiment. And if it is, I mean, maybe once these tabs or these pills or these gummy bears or or whatever, I mean, whatever come out, then maybe it is something worth trying to at least relieve some of that pain. Because if it has medical benefits or non-medical benefits, one thing we do know that it does help with pain on at least cancer patients, some of that stuff to cause the nausea, to at least get hungry, to be able to stop some of the excruciating pain. And maybe it would be something worth it. So, uh, Sean, happy New Year to you, my friend, to call yeah, back again you, here soon, and we appreciate that very much. Let's go back to the phones here. Line number three. 
Okay, I guess we lost that guy. All right, I want to shift gears here real quick. We got a few minutes left before we kind of wrap things up. Um, I, I know we were going to probably spend the majority of the time on that issue, yep, which I'm glad because, and we're going to continue to do so. But there has been another issue regarding sales tax yep. on the food. Obviously, now it's down two and a half percent from the year. We're now at four percent. There are talks about just removing it completely. Governor Kelly's trying to take. Yeah, uh, obviously the credit for oh, this. Oh, no. But, yeah, how could wow. she? Yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, is that a serious conversation, and do you think that could happen this it, year? It, it's a it's a conversation that will happen. Um, I'm not sure if that's the, the direction we go or not. I know that, you know, one of the issues when I was elected was addressing the food sales tax issue. We, we are on a pathway to have it zeroed out by 2025. I would like it a little, a little sooner than that, but that's kind of what we have now. Um, I think a lot of the conversation this year, though, will actually be centered around property tax relief. Mm -hmm. Um, We we did a few things last year uh, in the way of property tax relief. I think we may have a conversation around further things we can do. I mean, right now, our property taxes are so high. Valuations are are on the rise, and those are just self-tax increases. We're taxing people out of their homes. We're taxing the elderly out of their homes. Um, And we we can't have this anymore. It's not sustainable. The state of Kansas right now, we have, I mean, we have more money in our bank account than we've ever had. We have over $2 billion in our bank account. We need to have a discussion about what is the best way to invest some of that to pay off future debt, to put us on a more sustainable path as a state. Yeah. And then we need to have a conversation about how do we get those, the rest of those excess funds back into the taxpayers' hands whose funds they are. I mean, we've collected more money than we should have as a government. We need to Is that due to tax revenue win, or is that because of COVID money from the federal there, government? There's some of it is COVID money, but some of it is uh, excess tax revenue due to the Fed pumping so much money um, into the economy by way of... of Inflation. Un- and, yeah, and you know, unemployment benefits, those super unemployment benefits um, that the federal government was pumping out a couple years ago. I mean, we, we have a... a just a very big surplus we need to figure out again to make the best return on investment with those funds um to pay off future debt that saves us money in the long run and then we need to have a conversation about tax relief preferably on the property tax side because again these valuations are just i mean it what 10 15 percent last year here in the the Cedric county area yeah it's just it's not it's not sustainable it's not sustainable, but I mean, Governor Kelly, she's the one that's going to fix all those things. Right? I know, yeah. I know, and and most of the work that <laughs> she takes credit for is us doing all the work and her signing the, the bill at the end. Or things that you guys have been trying to do for years that she stopped, both as a Democrat governor and as a Democrat state senator for the last twenty years, and uh, now all of a sudden she's all for it. I, I realized during the last campaign she campaigned as a Republican. She did. Yeah. She did. Um, you know, and I, I will say you, I, I caught your interview uh, with Attorney General Schmidt. Um, Great guy, would have been such an incredible governor. I'm so thankful for the service that uh, he provided to our state, both as a state senator and as attorney general. Um, but, yeah, we, we're stuck with Laura Kelly for four years. I hope that she realizes that she sold Kansas a bill of goods, and now she needs to stay stick to those campaign promises. Mm. She campaigned like a, a fairly moderate Republican, and I'm hopeful that that's how she'll govern. Um, Do you think she will? No. No, no, she's going to go far left. Um, she's never going to run for re-election again. So she's going to veto everything. Um, thankfully, we do have a veto-proof majority in the House and the Senate. That as long as all the Republicans in both chambers stick together, we can override uh, any of her vetoes. So, um, you know, we'll be able to get some stuff done this year. 
Um, it won't be just us putting things on her desk and her veto. And, um, and we're hopeful that we'll have some Democrats come along with some of the things that we want to do as well. Yeah, well, I hope so. I, I really hope, as you mentioned, I think she is going to go far left, and I agree with you, but I'm hoping that once she sees the hopeful unity of the Republican Party in the amount yes. of bills you guys are coming out with, that she's just not going to be the no governor and just yeah. completely try to block everything because that's going to look really foolish on her and the Democrat Party as a whole. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and most of the things, I mean, everything we, we're going to come out with, it's just common sense legislation. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. I love it. State Representative Nico Heisel, good to talk to you, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Back Andy. at it for the session in 2023. When do you head up there? Tomorrow night? Tomorrow morning. Leave. Tomorrow morning. I, I leave here today. I'm going to go start packing, and mm. the family and I will be heading up about 8 a.m. tomorrow. Man, it's going to be fun. Well, good luck up there. Keep up the fight. We're going to get some updates on you from throughout the session here. Thank you so much, Andy. Hey, always a pleasure. we got some calls on the line. We'll wrap up the program with you right around the corner on this issue, on everything we've talked about on the Kevin McCarthy situation. How many votes did it take for Dan Hawkins to get his Speaker of the House? Dan Hawkins ran uh, unopposed, so he had every Republican wow. vote. That's oh, how man. unified we are as Republicans in the <laughs> Kansas House. That We knew who our Speaker was going to be, and we were 100% behind him. Not 15 votes? Nope. Okay. All right, just making sure. We'll talk about some of that when we come back, wrapping up the program. It's Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. Great calls. Thanks again to Nick Hoheisel coming on the show. Pleasure to have him. State representative here from the Wichita area. We'll get him back on for some updates throughout the legislative season, along with other legislators as well. we got just about a minute left here of the program, but let's squeeze in one more phone call. Let's make it quick. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Andy. It's Nick. Nick, how are you, brother? Very well. The federal government, I don't believe, ever had the authority to regulate what uh, somebody can plant can't plant just like a baby. We should give the ARPA money back. Uh, it's just another noose of the federal government to grow. Uh, what this constitution, I didn't hear the word constitution come up in any of this. Uh, I'm sorry that people sometimes have idolatry issues, whether we want to call them addiction or what. Um, and then if there was no Dan Hawkins and no Ty Masterson uh, creating a bully spirit around this plant, I wonder how many of the legislators would be okay with constitutional cannabis. But anyway, I'm going to pray for all of the legislators as they get back to work uh, for us, defending us, defending the Constitution, the individual. And I hope everybody does the same. Prayers for all of them. God bless you, Andy. Have a good day. Nick, appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. And uh, our thoughts and prayers out to all of the legislators going up there because, man, we have a lot of work to get done this year. We have a lot of work to get done this year, not just the marijuana bill, but we also have the sales taxes, the property tax. We have some spending issues. We have education things. We have some big uh, big plans. Maybe we can get some Second Amendment bills through, too. What do you think? Maybe, just maybe. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? That does it for us today. Back at it again next Saturday. We have a laundry list of things to get to over the next few weeks, so stay tuned in every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on KQAM. Until then, have a great weekend. We're back at it with our national broadcast of our Voice of Reason at 4 p.m., on KQAM as well. The weekend with Michael Brown right around the corner here at 11 o'clock as well. Have a great weekend. This is Andy Hoosier, Candace Talk right here on KQAM. We'll see you then.